Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And today I will even say with my friend Mario Vasquez, bienvenidos. This is The Caring Economy with me, your host, Toby Usnick. Uh, Mario Vasquez is someone I've known personally for many years through my husband, Harlan Bratcher. They went to high school together in McCollum High School in Southside, Texas, in San Antonio. And uh, while I'm very proud of Harlan and he did very well in his career, it was Mario who was actually in the top 10 percentile of school back in the day and soared in his career. Predominantly known to us here in New York for his broadcast journalism career, but also quite a stellar creator of uh, musicals and other uh, written and creative works. So welcome to The Caring Economy, Mario. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. And I'm just really excited that every time we, I spend time together with you guys, it's just such a wonderful blessing. So, so thank you very much. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks. Thank you. So, uh, Mario, tell us, take us back. There you were in Southside, Texas. How did you get from there to here, so to speak? And what were some of the, the, the learning curves that you were uh, went around? Well, I'll take you back to high school, hiding in the back of the school bus, being really shy, hiding behind my black frame glasses and my pile of books and cool, handsome, talented, wonderful Harlem Bratcher at the front of the school bus, whom I really admired. And we since to become uh, really good friends. We go way back to junior high, uh, believe it or not. And back then, I guess one prevailing emotion, uh, honestly, was fear. Uh, fear that I was different. Fear that, you know, I was in a very challenged home life uh, and financial socioeconomic status life uh, with my family. But I don't know where this comes from, Toby, but my whole life I have had a deep hunger for knowledge. Uh, mm -hmm. Reading every encyclopedia I could get my hands on, uh, being the first to write term papers. <laughs> I mean, I was really, uh, I call myself Mario Bosques from A to B, because do you remember in, at, at the grocery store when they would sell those, you know, introductory encyclopedias, uh, yeah. A and B would be 39 cents? Yes. And then the rest, would they would up the price. Well, my family could only afford A and B because then the prices would go up. So I would read A and B and know just about everything, but I only knew things from A to B. So my education was involved in, in expanding that and forcing myself to do public speaking contests, uh, unfortunately discovering the pain of discrimination along the way with that uh, the theater, you know, uh, working in, in, the, in the dramatic side of my life. So writing speeches, uh, improvisational acting, all of that was a brand new world to me in high school. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel in a way I started to, to blossom. And going way back to my childhood, my Aunt Elia, who I grew up with in Alice, Texas, and she taught me the value of what I know now to be mouth-to-ear communication, which mm -hmm. no matter how advanced society goes with its technology, it's always going to be mouth to ear people over a campfire telling a story and i bring her up because she used to tell me bedtime stories with henny penny and turkey lurkey and that love of mouth to ear stays with me to this very day and no matter what pursuit what business you're involved in whether it's zoom whether it's you know other than texting of course and writing but any anytime you open your mouth it's that primal primal mouth to ear communication and basically toby i've just followed that along the way in my career so you, uh, it's a beautiful metaphor, actually, and, and um, clearly you have the gift of, of such a melodic voice. <laughs> Thank I, you. I love that old turn of phrase that you have the face for radio. <laughs> 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 um, I think that's some awesome. mornings I don't know if I have a face for anything. <laughs> 
I also want to make a point for our younger listeners that before there was Wikipedia, there were encyclopedias. <laughs> so, yes, I should have mentioned that. Um, but seriously, um, when you uh, you were taught in an, or exposed early on by your aunt to this sort of uh, approach to storytelling, um, but where did it go beyond high school? Then you went off to university and then made, made your way to New York. How did it, mm -hmm. how did it unfold? It was unfortunately a very mercenary decision, uh, Toby. Uh, I went to Trinity University mm -hmm. in San Antonio and I made a very hardcore, I wanted to do speech therapy. I wanted to be a starving actor so bad, mm -hmm. believe it or not, I still do. But you know, with my family's financial situation, I thought, what can I do with communication that could possibly make me the most money, the fastest for myself and primarily for my family? And uh, I nosed around the communications department at Trinity University, and I sort of fell into into broadcast. I started anchoring the the college radio station KRTU uh, as a, as a as a disc jockey, believe it or not. And then um, on graduating from from um, high school, from college rather. If you hear loud music, I live in Inwood in Manhattan and it's very loud music outside on the street all the time. Cool. But uh, I, uh, I graduated from college. I was still painfully, timidly shy despite of all my public exposure. And I got a job at, ins at an insurance company at USAA <laughs> as an adjuster. Yes. Now how yes. do you come to insurance? Well, I just wanted a job to help my family. And I, I was afraid, frankly, to, to pursue the most money, the fastest route for my family with TV and radio. So crediting my sister, Irene, she says, no, you are not. You graduated with communications. She went and borrowed slash stole a videotape from her community college. She's probably still in trouble for that. Gave it to me and said, go make a copy of your work. So I made a copy of my work at Trinity and handed it into a local television station at KSAT. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, KTSA radio, got a job there, overnight news anchor, and then transitioned to television. And I was off. And there I was a general assignments reporter. And then after that, a morning anchor on KSAT 12 in, in San Antonio for many, many years. And I did a show called PM Magazine, where I traveled basically around the world and mm -hmm. sort of a travel log entertainment show. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I did for many, many years. I did that. Then I found an agent and I hadn't had an agent up until then. And she said, are you sitting down? I said, yes. She says, they want to interview you in New York. So I came up to New York for WNYW TV channel five. I interviewed with the news director and assistant news director. And lo and behold, I got the job and I had never lived away from Texas, lived away from home. So that was a traumatic experience. However, it helped my family in many ways. Uh, my niece, whom I raised as my daughter, wound up graduating from Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. So had I not taken those chances a long time ago, none of this would have ever happened. So two things about that, uh, that transition. Um, one is your agent. Uh, what was her name? Her name, hold on, I had two at the time. I had N.S. Beanstalk mm -hmm. and prior to Shirley Barish, the late Shirley Barish, who was fantastic. Both great names. Um, uh, how important then and now is it for a talent to have representation? Well, initially, you can be taken advantage of if you do not have representation in other markets. Um, as far as the amount of money that you should be making, we were taken advantage of. My co-host and I, we had the highest rated show in the city and we're paid not minimum wage, but kind of above that. But we had what I called at the time 
sweet blindness, like that fifth dimension song where you're not really aware of what other people are making and what you should be making. So it didn't really get in the way of doing the job, but in a way I wish I had had mm-hmm. representation because you need it that's their job to take care of you to take care of themselves and to make sure that you're getting a fair shake in in a very rough business absolutely Uh, and then the second part of that question is um would you how how did being a latino uh, affect if at all your selection do you believe do you were you um were they looking for diversity in recruitment were you ever doing anything in spanish and they saw it or was it always um, just uh, English language and they wanted you for that? I didn't know this at the time, Toby, but apparently by the way I physically look, I'm Mexican-American, but I have all of these different ethnic flavors floating around in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, I can apply to different fill-in-the-blank ethnicities in a way. And I think one of the reasons I wound up in New York is physically I could be anybody, anything, mm-hmm. and yet still fill the Latino box, you know, on the on the what they're looking for. So yeah, that did happen. And there were times where, you know, they would say, Oh, you're too tall to be a Mexican. I'm thinking that's not a compliment (laughs) or your English is so good. It's like my family's been here for five generations. It better be good. You know, I'm still very proud and very close to my culture, but yes, it did figure into sometimes you are filling a box. You are filling a blank perhaps in, in the requirements that they are after. And I sort of, realized yes fine you know they're using me for that however i have my own work ethic that stands aside from that and you know says that's why they call it work they don't call it vacation do your job uh every day is your first day on the job and your last day on the job because think about it your first day on the job you're on your best behavior you're putting out your best output your last day on the job you want to leave a good impression so i keep that energy every day no matter what and ethnicity aside, flavor aside, everything else aside, it's all for me about the work. And I think one of the best compliments I got, and you're going to tell, it's going to tell you how long ago I got this compliment from an old news director. Uh, you remember IBM Selectric uh, self-correcting typewriters? I mean, yes, you're I too young. Our to younger listeners that. would know, but yes, yeah. before there were. Toby, you're too young to remember this. <laughs> well, an IBM Selectric electric self-correcting typewriter. If you made a mistake, you would push a certain key, it would back it up and type white out over that and make, and fix it. He says, "I never worry about you, Mario." And I said, "Why?" He says, "You are like an IBM Selectric self-correcting typewriter." He yeah. says, "You self-correct." He says, "Just before I'm about to say something to you, you've already corrected it." And you know where that comes from? And this is crazy, but I do it. And perhaps because I'm in the spectrum, I don't know, but it works for me. And that I mean is I periodically have meetings with myself. Hmm. I sit myself down. I go over everything that I'm doing. Am I up to my best expectations of myself? I don't need anybody else to do that for me. Mm -hmm. I am self-correcting. And I do have, like before I launched my podcast, and this does dip over into the world of insanity perhaps, but before I started my podcast, Run the Dish, I sat myself down. I interviewed myself. I had a meeting with myself. Are you up to this? Do you have the time to do this? Do you have the follow through? Do you have what it takes to? So I interviewed myself and I hired myself. And I I promise you, if I had not filled some of those qualifications, I would not have started the podcast. But I have been doing this ever since I was a little boy. I can't tell you where it came from, but yes, 
to answer your question, there are times when your brown skin or your what what ethnicity is he again type of thing yeah. does fill in some blanks. But to me, yes, that's there. But my job is to do my job. Yeah. So there you go. Well, that's awesome. And I, I can think that um, perhaps um, as a young boy, the, the ways you dealt with a, a sometimes difficult home reality or uh, challenges in the classroom um, brought out that sort of perfectionist tendency in yourself, trying to always autocorrect or edit to fit into the mainstream. Um, exactly. Now, also remember, I was in, in hiding for many reasons, going way, and I'm not self patting myself on the back. It's just the way nature dealt the cards with me mm -hmm. in second grade. I could read and spell like a high schooler. Wow. I didn't know that. Well, the teachers did. They did a very bad thing in a way. I know they had good intentions. They would take me to the high school level grades and make me spell and read in front of them to shame them. Wow. And guess who was the least popular kid on the playground? Because it was all one, one unit school. It was a Catholic school. <laughs> it was me. So I learned for many years, Toby, to play dumb. Wow. And say, I don't know the answer to that question, sister. I do not know. And I did. Yeah. But I'm not, it's just, it's not self-aggrandizement. It's just who I was, my makeup, how I was born. And maybe the spectrum filled in on that. I do not know. All I can say is I spent many years hiding. And it was only until recently I stopped yep. hiding. Ladies and gentlemen, again, today on The Caring Economy, we have Mario Busquez, who's a very well-regarded broadcast journalist here in New York. Uh, recently, one way in which you will hear him is on 1010 Wins, one of my favorite local stations. Um, Thank you. And also, uh, it's been with many broadcast uh, networks across the country and also written all kinds of, of uh, original musical scores and and on and on and on. But uh, Mario, I want to ask you a little bit more about that. When you, you talk about your... Um, you're sort of coping. Uh, do you think that things have gotten quote unquote better today for kids who were who are different? Um, I think that film, television, um, celebrity are now shining a light on bullying, and I'd like to believe that things are getting better. But I wonder if if I'm being naive. What your observations might be? Well, I don't think you're being naive in any way at all. I think you're being realistic in that. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Bullying will always exist. Mm -hmm. It's somehow wired into the system. I don't know why or how. In a way, it comes from everybody's striving to be the best and the best they can be. And yet there are other people that are not taking it in that way. They're saying, well, I'm going to find a ways to trip that person up so then I can be the best. It's a pecking order. Mm -hmm. And <sighs> bullies are cowards, number one. Mm -hmm. I made up this other phrase. And I think I did make it up because I can't find it anywhere. Bully chum. And it doesn't make any sense to you right now. It didn't make sense to me at first. Do you know what chum is when you're lowering a shark in? Yeah. You, you put the stuff out like in the movie Jaws, mm -hmm. fish heads and things, and it attracts the sharks. That's chum. Well, some people like me are bully chum. By that, I mean, you seem you are approachable, you're friendly, you don't have seem to have any defenses up. So who are they going to go for somebody that they don't think will fight back. Mm. So once you recognize yourself as you know what, I have had this experience in my life. And in my, uh, in my professional life and personal life with being I admit it, I'm bully chum, for some reason, they're attracted to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say something that's probably chilling. You may cut off the microphone at this point. Okay. I dedicated myself to learning about sociopaths. Mm -hmm. 
reading about sociopaths, reading about bullying and make it a, a avocation to read about it. Like uh, The Mask of Sanity is a great book about that as well. To learn how they work. One, they are cowards. And the minute you face up to them, they melt and they run away. My father included. Wow. and other people professionally as well. So you have two choices. You can either face up to them or completely cut them off and completely shut them out of your life. And you, you decide. And sometimes I do cuss people out and say, you blankety blank, don't you ever blank? And they go away. Other times you just don't engage because you know what they are. And once you realize this, I think it'll help you in dealing with this professionally and personally. They're Komodo dragons. And I'll tell you why they're Komodo dragons. A Komodo dragon doesn't kill by biting. A Komodo dragon kills by biting you and leaving poisonous saliva behind. So sociopaths and bullies will bite you in the brain. Leave that toxic saliva in your brain for you to slowly wither away. Then they walk away and they have sex, they drink, they laugh, they forget all about you because their saliva is doing the work. Yeah. So you have a choice. You can bite them right back, which I do sometimes. Say, you blankety blank, don't you ever blank. And then they go, oh, my God, because, see, they want to keep their household clean in their brain. They want a clean, orderly house in their brain, the theater of their mind. They want to disorder your brain, leave you in disarray so they feel better about themselves. The minute you tip over one of their lamps or mess up one of their rugs, like, what are you doing messing up my house? Well, this sounds crazy, Toby, but it works. And so that's how it helps me deal with bullying and leads me to my next thought. There should be classes in this. There should be workshops and seminars in dealing with that type of behavior. So tell me if you think about, uh, because the caring economy is all about the role of business and society and responsible business, um, bullying in the workplace. Clearly we've all worked under supervisors who have been somewhat bully-like. And I wonder you don't have to name names, but I wonder if, in fact, you've had situations like that in work and how you have pivoted away from it. Well, to pivot away from it, you have to realize that it's there. And what I just mentioned is educating yourself on all of the telltale signs. Mm -hmm. Then you will realize, OK, I see you now. And they have this sort of ESP mm. of knowing, oh, this guy's on to me. I will back off. And it, the knowledge is power. Or you can do subtle things. Like in one workplace a few years ago, there was a person who tried to do that. You know what I did? I sent them a friend request on Facebook. And I know that freaked them out. It's like, what's he doing trying to friend me? I just pulled this stunt on him. They never responded, but they never bothered me again. Another time someone was saying, well, you should this and you should that. And I'm thinking, okay, let me go ask our immediate and above that supervisor and see what they think. Their eyeballs nearly fell out of their head. You have to open up the theater of experience because a bully likes the private, the private one-on-one, -on -one, just you and me. Once you open yeah. it up, and say, okay, let's bring other people into this. See what they think. They melt away. You take away their ammunition. Yeah, this is one of my theories about um, social media and, and bullying and the role of technology. I think that we, and I, others have thought this and said this before me, I, I think that if we were to go back and no longer allow anonymity online, that people actually had to own their thoughts, expressions, and behaviors, and could not cloak it in anonymity, that we would have a more, more civil and safe um, space online. I completely agree. And I don't care if they're faking their civility. I'll take fake civility right. <laughs> over anonymous evil. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so I want to ask a little bit about 1010 wins. So um, okay. again, listeners, Mario Bosquez is with us today. In addition to other great journalism feats and writing books and musicals, he's um, currently the weekend um, news guy at 1010 wins here in Manhattan, my favorite drive time radio. Um, Mario, what is it like? I have to imagine it being like a short order cook. Boy, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard someone put it more succinctly and in a better way. You are, but a short order cook who we have writers on staff, excellent, superb writers at the same time. You also write quite a bit of your own content. So say you're given 20 seconds to talk about one topic and 30 seconds to talk about another topic. Something's got to go. And as far as information, you've got to be very, very experienced in getting who, what, when, where, why, and how in each and every story. One is the economy. One is sports. Another one is entertainment. So you run the, I'm going to use this word again, spectrum. So maybe that's where I fit in. You run the spectrum of all those different topics in your, your half hour newscast, which also includes sound effects, commercials, promos, and you've got to back time to particular posts like, you know, traffic on the ones and then, you know, money watch at 26 and 56. So you have to leave time in your newscast for all of those, plus all the commercials that you run your own board, you run your own sound effects, you run your own commercials, you run everything. You check the quality of the audio levels, you bring in the live reporters. And I'm not even yet getting to the point of saying, that's not including when breaking news happens and everything goes out the window and you've got to improvise as you go, which happens pretty often, not only at 1010 wins, but at other radio stations as well. So it's very, very intense. It's a challenge, which I absolutely love, but you better learn to write fast and write well. I, I'm envisioning somehow a mad uh, organist with playing the feet pedals and the uh, organ keys and all of this at once um to do all those things must be a bit manic at times it's it's very intense and i'll tell you it's so intense and that's another good visual you just offered everybody sometimes you're doing this and you really feel like the back of, uh, on your back you think i wish i could grow a third arm right now <laughs> i really could use the third arm to push that button right over there because you're reading a news story you're queuing up getting ready to play your next commercial spot you've got your next sound effect coming up and then you have our wonderful news editor coming in in your ear or in your chat window saying breaking news Pulled up the breaking news sounder and i'm putting up some information in the chat window ad lib about the story go yeah. And everything else has to hold and you do your breaking news. Then you come back and in your brain, you're thinking, oh God, I ate up this much time. I've got to do these commercials, read these next stories, and then hit the top of the hour all at the same time. So it's very old school, which yeah. I've, I'm very grateful for. And I, I appreciate it. I'm glad that old school has met modern technology because I come from the radio days where you used to, with a razor blade, cut the reel-to-reel -reel audio tape. For people who are not aware, you would get a splicer and you would splice a lot of this audio together. Now, of course, it's all through the cyber web, internet, worldwide modernization. <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore, but it's still extremely intense. Uh, so I actually think that it, it has a certain old world charm to it, for lack of a better word that you described. But I also think you're on the vanguard because I think most professions now have been what I characterize as disrupted or crunched down to the to the most basic transactional bottom line. And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gone are the days of, say, 
administrative assistants and secretaries and admins. It's, it's all, we're all doing it ourselves, right? We're our customer service, we're our own editors. We're mm-hmm. um, so I think in a sense, you, you are the future um, of where most professions are going. You have to be that um, chief bottle washer and everything else. Exactly. And I, I came up with, I, I live, I wrote a book on phrases and as Spanish dichos and proverbs, and I create my own. If, you, if there isn't a proverb out there, make it up yourself. And I think I created this one too, was if the work is not easy, I mean, correction, if the work feels too easy, make it hard. Find something to challenge yourself in that day and make your work hard. Take something on to study it, restudy it, take it apart, put it back together. Because in in the long run, it's going to, another favorite word of mine, it's going to inform every other platform that you work in. If I'm working on my podcast, that informs my radio work. My radio work informs my theater work. They all are in my head in like those old fashioned switchboard operators that would plug the jacks yeah. into the different, they're all informing each other, even when you're not even aware yeah. of it. Like, for example, in theater, I played a woman in, in a play, you know, and uh, I loved the experience. I did not appreciate the corset very much, but that experience informs me. It's like, oh my God, this is what it's like. So what I'm saying is other one aspect of your life informs another and yes you're right it is old school but modern uh, at the same time so i i do appreciate uh the the synergy there but i will say two things that are out of the norm perhaps um i make i bead my own native american shoes i make my own caps out of mexican calaveras i invented a pair of socks with a drop down front called fox what i'm headed toward toby is no matter what you do look at your hands what can you make create with your hands it doesn't matter where you are in the corporate world where you are professionally we have evolved for billions or millions, I may be exaggerating on the billions, but for, we, for millions of years, we have used our hands. Find some, I crochet, mm-hmm. you paint, plant something, do so, your hands are sitting there going, please, instead of just my thumbs for texting, yeah. I can totally plant something. I can totally knit for you. I can, I'm a machine, I'm two creative machines waiting to be utilized after billions of years. So it sounds very simplistic, but use your hands. No matter what it is you use, you do professionally plant something, paint something, even if you suck at it, your hands are waiting to be put into service. And again, that will inform everything else you do in your life. I'm not a religious person. I'm not so much a spiritual person, but I do believe in affirmations. Mm-hmm. I do believe I'm a Reiki practitioner. I'm a Reiki master as well. You've mm-hmm. got to feed and you've got to nourish that aspect of yourself of waking up in the morning and thinking, what dream did I have? Let me enjoy that dream for just a moment. Uh, someone taught me these affirmations many years ago. I look in the mirror every day and one of these will make you cry. These affirmations. I'm probably off topic, but it does apply to work. Mm-hmm. Two or three times, especially when I wake up in the morning, I look in the mirror. And I say these following three things three times. No regrets, no heartaches, no sorrows. I say that three times. The second one is, I live in a positive world. 
I live in a positive world. I live in a positive world. Toby, this next one may make people cry. It makes me cry. The third one is you say three times. Oh boy, this is hard. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you straight into your eyes. And that will inform everything you do for the rest of the day, but you've got to do it every day. So I'm saying is take care of your entire system, top to bottom, inside and out. I love it. I love it. And I try my own way to do the same sort of morning meditation, which um, I actually, according to literature that I've read, um, it's a very common practice among successful business leaders is to just have some type of meditative approach it rewires you it rewires you and i read obsessively i still do beyond encyclopedias a to b uh toby but <laughs> i read biographies and i read i just love motown and all of that era so i was reading about mary wilson and she said something very interesting about diana ross she says diana she called her she says diana ross used to look in the mirror and stare at herself for up to 20 minutes at a time just gazing into her own eyes. Who knows what she was thinking about, but it's part of that ref reflection. It's part of that rewiring of your brain that even that she did it herself. Yeah, your dream girls. Um, I want to add a perfect segue to your, your musical writing. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, and I'm mindful of the time, uh, I just want to make sure that we get a little bit of a, a, a introduction to all the various works of art you've created, uh, including, I think, couple decades of you did you do a musical on selena uh, i i actually did now we had some business snags along the way but i wrote the first book uh the book to the musical the life of selena i had the honor of reading it to her father at her selena museum uh many 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 years ago but it came down to and i can't really divulge too much but it was an agent not an eight problem with my agent is what the, how many rights they wanted to my work versus what I was willing to give up. So it never went beyond that. But I did do that. Uh, I wrote a play called Los Duendes, has won several awards about my, my semi-autobiographical life about growing up with a grandmother who was basically a curandera, a Mexican-American witch, so to speak, a shaman. So yes, I have written about that. I'm writing a pre-Columbian musical called Sochi about life before the conquest. And it's sort of, it's a musical about life back then as well. Um, it's so interesting that you mentioned this because I do a lot of first American, Native American writing mm -hmm. and first American, Native American cooking. I've been obsessed with it. Turns out my cousin, who's a, she's known as a genealogy whisperer, discovered we are direct descendants of Moctezuma II, the last emperor of the Aztecs. And who knew? You so know, so about Native American um, ancestry, not just Latino. Right. I have that as well. Oh, that's I great. have that as well. So, and, and we have even dishes at my family uh, food that my grandmother made that were not even, I called some prominent Mexican chefs. I said, what is this food? They said, that food is pre-Columbian and we don't even know what it is. So we have preserved those dishes as well. And looking back is when you know where you're going. And it seems esoteric, but you've got to delve into your past, your family's past. So you can know, and again, it will inform all your business decisions it will inform you on every level uh, of your life the more you know about yourself beyond encyclopedias a to b yeah and i think it's it's not you're not suggesting it in a narcissistic way which i think maybe someone have said i'm okay with i'm okay with i'm okay with i'm okay with stroking yourself i am okay I with saying this well. is 
but you know, I'm. I'm no, I'm gonna t- let me just tell you something very quickly. After a lifetime of denying myself of what I could do, what I could not do, I definitely flap my own wings. I definitely on Ooh. Facebook, I like my own posts because it's taken me a long time to get here and nobody's pulling me back. And if you want to call it self-aggrandizement or whatever, then call it that. But I am here and this is what I do. I may not be the best at it, but I definitely do it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm saying is though, there's the empathy part about the others, right? How do you engage with the others? Do you look them in the eyes? Do you, do you try and find common ground, which you do. And so um, I, I want to salute you for that part of the way you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, just a final question I want to ask you about, Mario, and that's just going back to the, the, the main crux of the role of business in society. With all we've been through more recently, you know, the, the rise in nationalism, climate, COVID, all these things, um, what do, you, do, you, do you feel that businesses are stepping up? Do they need to step up? Is it the place for business to be involved in these issues, or is it, uh, is it not expected of them in your mind? I do not like to use the word tolerance, you know, teach tolerance, because to tolerate means like, oh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about you, but I'm just going to swallow. I don't like that. But to teach knowledge, to teach people to teach themselves, and they don't have to, businesses don't have to expound and give their stance on what's going on in the world, but to just create this environment of receptivity going hand in hand with what you said earlier, bullying will not be tolerated. And we will deal with this severely if we have to, but to create a landscape that's fertile ground for learning and reading and listening to each other. That's why my therapist years ago, I said, why do people go to therapists? She says, because your friends, as much as they love you and your family, as much as your family loves you, they're kind of subconsciously waiting for their turn to tell you their story. She says, I'm being paid to listen to you. I'm trained to listen to you. And the more the role businesses take of a receptive passive sort of therapist. I'm here to, I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to listen to everybody. There's a place for everyone here. And if someone chooses to use a certain pronoun, then go for it. You don't have to analyze it or criticize it or just, just plug it right in to the fabric of life. Uh, and people will adjust. We're all grownups. And if we don't adjust, then you need to go somewhere else because there's also that Komodo dragon thing. I tell you about, I ain't going to be bitten on the brain because I'll bite you right back. There is that part of me as well. No need to be um, shark chum either. I love that metaphor as well. And uh, Mario, so just as a final uh, plug, tell us about the, the podcast. Is it up and available now for our listeners to uh, follow? Thank or- you so much. Yes, it is up right now. It's called Run the Dish. Mm-hmm. Run the Dish with Mario Bosquez, Food, Lifestyle, and Other Kitchen Witchery. And that's a nod to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it talks about food and cooking, which are my passions, baking, wine. We have tremendous experts from the world of wine and food and all sorts of cuisine. In addition to that, uh, we have fruit, vegetable, and nut of the week, where we profile a fruit, vegetable, or nut. However, I give them human personality, and they get to speak up for themselves. And as I say, uh, it, re- it rarely ends well. Because we give the fruit, vegetable, <laughs> and nuts their own crazy personalities. I will say I'm a James Beard-nominated communicator, so I'm very proud of that and bring those sensibilities. I worked at Martha Stewart Living Radio for many years, three years, and uh, season four of the Food Network's Mexican Made Easy. So I have a few chops in yeah. there. 
along with my crazy elements, like I'm going to, I'm booking a guy to talk about what extraterrestrials eat because they're going to be presenting a project of the Pentagon's before the Senate soon. So I thought, you know what, what do they eat? So there's some crazy stuff that's fun informational and serious. We're going to talk about sociopaths on my podcast. I'm going to get an expert and say, teach us how to deal with bullying these types of people. So we do delve into the fun, to the serious, to the esoteric. It's on Apple podcast and Spotify as well. I can't wait to check it out again, ladies and gentlemen, today we've had Mario Bosquez who you can definitely check out on 1010 wins here in New York on the weekends. And you can pick up his new show, run the dish on Apple and Spotify. And Mario, please come back to the caring economy soon. I would love it. And also inviting you to be a guest on Run the Dish. I would love to have you. I would love that. Thank you very, very much. All the best to you. And hi to Harlan and the doggies. Absolutely. Thanks, sir.